The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. This week's episode of the Platinum Sombrero Podcast is brought to you by Your Dumbass. Are you frustrated with your pet donkey? Does he lack the mental skills necessary to master botany, quantum physics, or even basic algebraic equations? Well, fret not. There's still hope for your dumbass. After enrolling in our rigorous program, your beast of burden will be a burden no more. We guarantee IQs in the high teens, which, if we're being honest, is pretty high for a donkey. We can't make him a smartass, but we can keep him from being a dumbass. Your dumbass. Patent pending. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch, here it is. Fly ball, big left center. Grissom on the round. Yes, 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 yes. 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 Have a Grissom gives you a championship. A 25 lighters on my dresser. Yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. I'm Bob Bob. Belton right center. And the Braves have won. Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Welcome, everybody. It is your favorite time of the week. It is the Platinum Sombrero, brought to you by Armchair All-Americans in conjunction with MyBookie.ag. MyBookie.ag is the place to go if you like to place any online wagers. They've got the best customer service. They've got the best lines, the easiest interface. Everything you need is right there on MyBookie. Go online, check them out. They've got every line that you can imagine for for every game. The new AAF League is about to start up February 7th, I believe, is the opening day kickoff. If you go on mybookie.ag, I'm sure you'll find lines for that. Best part is, if you use our promo code, BRAVES25, they will give you a 50% deposit match. So if you if you throw in $100 down, they'll put another 50 on top of that, and you got $150 worth of play. Go on there, show how smart you are, show all your friends that you are a genius, stump the Schwab, whatever it is. You want to win some money, you want to look good doing it, go to mybookie.ag and use the promo code BRAVES25. Now, I have been looking forward to this for about a week since I knew this was happening. I always look forward to doing the show, but this week is a pretty special one. We're doing an NL East preview, and today we're doing the Miami Marlins, and if you guys are, you know at all aware of what's going on. You know the Marlins have a particular player that's kind of dominating talking circles, so who better to get on the show than the guy who has covered this from day one? That's right, we brought on Craig Mish from the Miami Marlins. Craig, how are you doing, sir? Guys, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, it's been a wild uh, off-season of nothing. <laughs> so far so that's kind of still where we're at here it's been 
every day there's like more drama on all the players, not just uh, you know Real Muto. But I appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. You know, it's, it's more- nice. To, it's nice to know that the Braves are not the only team that are currently uh, undergoing an organizational freeze for any type of moves, really. Yeah, there's a lot of teams that, that are in that spot. It seems like everyone's just kind of playing the waiting game, and, and I did not think that we'd go back down this road. In fact, I think that if you go back to like just a few months ago, people who are smarter than me basically predicted that this would be the, the wildest hot stove ever and that there would be all kinds of money being spent because of Harper and Machado and some of the other players, and they couldn't have been more wrong. So here we are again, two off-seasons in a row, where arguably I could make the case that the three best players that are out there don't know their destination, which would be Harper, Machado, and for me would be JT Real Nito. I put him in that category. He may not be number one or number two, but he's certainly there. Um, and that's kind of where we're at, two years in a row, we're just waiting into the middle and late January for some of the best players in baseball to find a home. And you're a radio host on Sirius, so, so you know as well as I do, I work in Atlanta radio as well. These type of storylines are coming to dominate the the free agency talking points. You come into it, everybody that we've spoken to coming in before the offseason started thought last year was just kind of a fluke year. Doc and I had been wondering before this offseason even started whether with the new analytical change in the front offices, whether that was something that was you know here to stay. It looks to, to me like it is. It kind of it gives you this narrative to talk, at least in the offseason, which has been for the most part, really slow. Got a couple big signings, but not not nearly what you expect when you've got two talents the same age of Machado and Harper, plus a guy like JT Romuto, who everybody knows is being dealt. It, it It's almost like, I don't know how to describe it. It's like teams are daring these agents to hold out even longer. Yeah, it felt that way last year with JD Martinez, but I just think that when you look at it at this point, it's more than the qualifying offer. It's more than the analytics. It's, it's, I mean, it's like a league wide thing and and teams just don't want to give out these long-term deals. Players are having a hard time getting deals that are more than two years. So we may be headed there permanently. If, If we have two of the best players in baseball that can't get eight year contracts done in November or December or even January, there's just a lot more to this. And for me as a host, you're right. I mean, it does create a lot of talking points. But at this stage, with a month to go before spring training and the shows that I'm on, we look forward to this time of year to talk about some projections of where players may be and how teams may be. And you can't even do that with a lot of this because you have so many teams that are out there. And then the other thing that's been created, by myself included, are all of these just you know endless rumors of teams of interest of aggressiveness of non-aggressiveness and and I think that for the most part we're tired of it we want some resolution and so I want it believe me I, I don't want to be chasing down JT Real <laughs> Muto uh, rumors and stories every day for three months I did not think I'd be going down this road but it has been part of my daily routine like everybody gets up and they have coffee and they have breakfast and they go about their day this is part of my day. And and I and I enjoy it, and I enjoy, of course, that the the respect, and I enjoy the engagement with fans and on social media and doing podcasts like these. It, it's great, but at some point, I do want it to end, and and I'm hoping that it does happen soon because uh, when it becomes part of your daily routine, it takes you away from some of the other things that you enjoy doing. And so, uh, you know, some days it's 20 minutes, some days it's an hour, some days it's five minutes, but it is, guys. It's every day with checking in. 
is there anything new? Checking in with teams, checking in with sources, going back to sources that I haven't spoken to in months to see if I missed something. It's kind of where I'm at here with this. Now, obviously, the JT Realmuto thing is the biggest reason that why we wanted to have you in particular on. Uh, for anybody that covers beats or that covers teams and has you know and has reliable sources at least, you end up going back and forth a lot of people as teams will put out information left, right, and center. So obviously, Braves fans, since the JT thing hasn't real uh, has not. Uh, come to fruition yet and, and some of the names leaking out like Mike Soroka or Austin Riley being involved gets the dander of Braves fans up so you you acquired a nice little target you and Bowman kind of went back and forth a little bit without ever actually adding each other which was passive aggressive 101 which is awesome uh from somebody else that's that that watches all that stuff that was awesome but w- when you're going through and you're getting information just how difficult is it to actually sift out the truth from a line that the team is trying to put out there. Yeah, look, there, there's always a fine line of that because you're getting information from different sources, not just the teams involved, but people that are around the game and 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 different executives that have heard things in in conversations with other executives and people in the media as as well. Uh, but I've always kind of in my reporting felt that I needed to get information then and have it checked by somebody else. And and the other thing that I tend to do is I try as much as possible when I believe that I have something that's factual to at least try and run it by a team, if that is possible. And in this case, I suppose it would, it would be the Marlins. But look, I can't speak for anybody else who's doing their reporting. Uh, the, the only thing, and I haven't really, you know, obviously, I don't, I don't I, I'm not in the business for the most part of uh didn't of telling people that they're wrong on twitter like it's just not who i am it's not what i do i think there's like been a couple of times where i've done that because i was told like immediately and directly that this was this was not true uh but as far as i am concerned it kind of stinks that me being able to get information that others can't get is being held against me uh and i don't really think that that's fair at times but uh, look, I I enjoy the camaraderie. I respect everybody who's in the business, and certainly I would never personally go on the attack of someone because there would be the chance that I would be wrong. And regardless, in this case, guys, where Real Muto ends up, I think that most people can identify that all of the reports that I had that were denied or debunked or whatever. I mean, those things obviously now you can see were happening. So. Um, you know, we'll see what the end result is, but certainly I have a lot of respect for everybody in the industry, and I would never, uh, you know, make it a business of me saying, "Oh, this guy is wrong, and this is a rumor, <laughs> and this is fake." I just—it's just not what I do. I'm not. Inter- I have better things to do than do that. Well, for the most part, it also depends on the on the front office that you're dealing with. Whereas Alex Anthopoulos is notoriously tight-lipped, no matter where he goes. But I also happen to know for a fact that. The Braves were discussing JT Realmuto. I know the package that was off. There was a package offered at the trade deadline, and I know exactly what that package was. Uh, I know it was turned down for for different reasons, but I do know that the Braves have been in contact with them. So that that led me to believe that you were more correct in the first place, anyway. Um, but it's not just JT when you're talking about the Marlins. They've got a few other pieces. Everybody knows that they're rebuilding. Uh, everybody knows that that Derek Jeter's trying to reestablish some things there. Who are the other outside of JT Romuto? Who's the other guys that kind of offer up the the most as far as a return? You mean on the field in in nineteen or the future? What are we? What are we? 
Uh, as far as as far as trading away to bring other players back in, who are the other players that are valuable to to move out? Oh, on the Marlins right now. Oh boy, that's a very short list. Um, I, I think maybe at the trade deadline, the only player that I would say would be Starlin Castro, and and it would require him to probably have better numbers that he had in the first half of the season last year. Uh, Castro did a really good job getting on base, and at one point I think he was leading the National League in singles. But, you know, a singles hitter isn't going to gain back a ton. He also, in comparison to some of the other players who were signed, when you look at it, is getting, I think, about $14 million this year and, and has some extra option on there as well. So he's the one commodity that I could see at the deadline potentially the Marlins trading him to a team that needs a second baseman. And then at that point they would only have to take on between seven or $8 million. But guys beyond that, there's just a lot of young players that the Marlins are developing right now. So I think that they certainly value all these players, these kids who they've gotten. But as far as trade targets are concerned, trading teams to make them better. Castro to me is the only one that I would say right now that a team would target, of course, outside of JT. What about a Drew Steckenrider? Yeah, Steckenrider is under control for a long period of time, and the Marlins are not shopping him per se, but in order to get what the Marlins want from the Braves, they may have to include him in a trade, and he, and it wouldn't surprise me if, if the Braves would ask for him or even another team would ask for him if the Marlins were attempting to uh, get back higher-end type players. They may have to uh, trade a bullpen piece. So uh, he's of value, but he's not being shopped. Adam Conley, their left-handed reliever out of the bullpen, is of value, but he's not being shopped. So it just would come down at some point to consummate a trade. They may have to include one of those uh, those pieces to leverage extra high-quality pieces back from another team. You know, when you start looking at some of the trades that, that have been made over, over the past year, um, Going into this rebuild, there were some really great pieces like like Christian Yelich and and Marcelo Zuna and, and Stanton that that had some kind of returns. You know, when you're looking at kind of where you're at in the rebuild now, you're about to enter year number two, and then you start looking at kind of all the free agency. I, I swear that half of the different free agent signings have taken place in this division. So when you're looking at 19 for a team that more than likely is not going to wind up having JT Real Muto and still just going to kind of be stuck in that year to rebuild. What do you see this year shaking out like for you guys? I I think it's fascinating. I think that Miami has a chance to play spoiler. Yeah. To a a certain degree. Yeah. I'm not sure about that. Uh, But, but I will say this, the, the trades that they made and I'll just touch on them real quick. If you look at the landscape as to what major league baseball is right now, you have to put that Stanton trade separate from the other deals. And and you could certainly analyze and criticize the other two deals that they made, for sure. But the Stanton trade, if you think about it, there I mean, no one can even get $200 million right now on the free agent market. And Stanton was a $300 million contract with all of that money backloaded. So that was strictly, hey, let's get this money off the books. And it was a miracle, I think, that the Marlins were able to do it and to even get anything back in return. And they feel like they may have gotten a good player in, in return, too. His kid's name is Jose Devers. He's years away, but we'll see. So that deal is kind of separate from the others, where they weren't looking to get back high-end talent. They were looking to get money off the books. And in this baseball landscape where no one's getting money, I think they did a good job there. Hands down, and the story's over. Now, in the other two trades that they made, 
the early returns on the deals, um, well, I mean, they're iffy at best. That's what you got to say a year in. You can't judge a trade a year in, but the players they got back in the Ozuna trade, one of them I really like a lot, Sandy Alcantara. I think he could be a high-end pitcher, not just for the Marlins, but in Major League Baseball. So that is a good sign. The other player they got back, uh, McNeera Sierra, an outfielder with some speed, did not look really good in his first year, and I would not project a huge future to, so that would be a bad sign. Uh, so essentially that's what they got for Ozuna, and Ozuna will be a free agent after the season, and he will leave the uh, St. Louis Cardinals, or they will try and extend him, but he will go to free agency as a Scott Boris client. And in terms of the Christian Yelich trade, they got four players back in return. One they really like a lot in Monte Harrison. The other they did really like a lot in Lewis Brinson. I'm sure that they still have confidence in him succeeding, but after a year of him seeing big league pitching, and after now almost a year and a half of him seeing big league pitching between this team and the Milwaukee Brewers, uh, you have to at least question that deal as well. But you can't put the stamp on it yet because if this kid Harrison ends up being a star or the other one they got in the deal, Isan Diaz, becomes a good major leaguer, we have to give that another year of judgment. So for the Marlins to be spoiler, this Harrison has to be a star. Diaz, the second baseman, has to come up and be great. Alcantara has to get to the next level. Uh, they have to you know, get Martin Prado healthy this year. and He's got to be a 15-20 home run guy. Their shortstop, Riddle, has to take the next step. Uh, you know, Brian Anderson has to do what he did last year and do it again. And I know this is long-winded, but so many things have to go right for this team to win 70 games that on paper right now I don't see it. We have a month until spring. Maybe they'll sign some players, and that will change my mind. But as it stands right now, there is, to me, uh, very few teams that are as low as the Marlins are right now in the National League. I'm glad and you when, brought... I, when I say spoiler, I'm referring more to because you've got the top heaviness of the division. Somebody like when you've got the the Braves, the Marlins, the uh, Phillies, the Mets, and the Nationals are all going to be at each other's throats. The Marlins have a chance to come in and, and hit that knockout punch for the team that was hanging on on the very back, you know, in third place, trying to trying to jump up the standings. You know what I mean? Like, this is the type of team that winds up getting taken for granted, you know, because of the robust competition elsewhere in the division. So Yeah, and they played well against the Phillies last year. They really dominated them until the end of the year. They played one really poor game where they got blasted, I think 20-1 to 1 or something like that. But beyond that, they played very well. You guys obviously saw the series where they played Atlanta and there was all the fighting. So, look, I mean, they're, they're not going to quit by any means, but they're just so bereft of offensive talent right now. Uh, in comparison to some of the other teams, which could change because, again, there's still some players out there. I'm sure they'll get some major league viable players, but we're sitting here with a month to go at the end of spring training, and if Real Muto is not on this team, I think Vegas has their number, their win total at 65, and with uh, JT being you know, a high-war player, I mean, that, that could, this could be a 60-win team if, if they don't do anything else. So we'll just have to see. I'm glad you brought up the, t- the two deals. Everybody – talks about the Yelich deal and looks on it because Yelich went on to win MVP. So in the instant, the instant thought is, Oh, the Marlins got hosed. I've been pretty constant. I actually think that that was a good deal at the time for Miami. They got a number one prospect in the system. They got a very up, a very high upside guy in Harrison, another very high upside guy in Nissan Diaz. The one that I keep coming back to that I think was the absolute worst of the deals was the Ozuna deal. And Alcantara is, is very, very high upside. Hard thrower, ton of strikeouts. There's there's some some health and there, there's a little bit of mechanical issues there, but nothing that can't be ironed out. But Magnuris Sierra is the guy I go back to. That was 
that was, and I don't want to be overly dramatic, but that was a god awful addition in that deal. Sierra is nothing but speed. He's he's essentially he's Juan Pierre. Um, to, to go from the Cardinals, who had just a ton of outfield talent in their minor league system, and to have Magnus Sierra be the guy you get up rack, that that was the one that I think is going to make that deal look worse. I think if they had gotten somebody like a Tyler O'Neill. Uh, or or even a Patrick Kivlahan, for instance, or, or just somebody else in that system at the time besides Bang Nurse, somebody with some actual offensive upside, I think you could have seen them turn around quicker because I don't see Miami with the pitching arms to facilitate a quick turnaround. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Is there any young pitchers aside from, say, Trevor Richards and Braxton Garrett that are really, really exciting? Well, you know, Garrett is, is coming off Tommy John surgery, so he's years away from from being in the big leagues of course he's their former first round pick they did put a nice pitching staff together last year that was really the strong point of them you mentioned Richards they also called up uh, a kid named Pablo Lopez who performed well at the big league level uh, Caleb Smith who uh, came out of nowhere last year to be the Marlins best pitcher from April through June and then he got hurt he didn't pitch the rest of the season so uh, look are any of these pitchers aces probably not are any of these pitchers going to strike hearts into the fear of the National League East when they come to town? Probably not. But the most talent the Marlins seem to have at this point is with, let's say, a bunch of threes, fours, and fives, and maybe a two, or maybe you know a one and a half at this point. I don't think they have an ace there yet. But again, if you have a lot of that, you can parlay that into some hitting potentially, but who's going to do that with 19, 20, 21-year-old kids? I mean, they need to develop some of these kids to see what they have so i think their pitching carried them for the most part last year it's gonna have to carry them this year but again they also subtracted quite a bit from that bullpen last year too with kyle barraclaw going to washington uh, brad ziegler being traded in july and retiring so uh that that seventh eighth and ninth which was the best in baseball in in all of baseball april and may uh, is going to have its work cut out for them this year i think So I do want to want to come back to the to this real muto stuff just a little bit. The last update that you had given uh, that, that you've got for your pin tweet lays out the the percentages for all the different teams that are kind of in the derby here. And if I'm not mistaken, that was last. It was updated on the eighth, and this was prior to Grandall signing with Milwaukee and uh, Russell Martin going out to the Dodgers. So was curious if the the way that you have this looking now with the Braves at 35% still leading the pack, if you consider that to still be accurate. Yeah, I, I would say so. What, what, what has happened, I, I think, the, I don't know if I posted that. You're right. I'm not sure about that. If I posted the Grandal, um, yeah, yeah, that may have happened after. I don't recall. But notice I didn't have the Dodgers in there and never changed it. Notice that I didn't have the Padres in there and never changed it. Um, and, and we've seen some reports now on both of those teams potentially at least moving toward being out. So uh, this kind of where we stand here with this is is at least as of a couple days ago. And again, I try to check on this as much as I can. And it could come out of nowhere and a deal could get done. But as far as my understanding is, is that not just Alex Anthopoulos, but maybe even the Rays and the Reds and Houston, and I don't know all the specifics, but these teams are waiting for the Marlins not to come down on their price. That's not true. They're waiting to, for the Marlins to say, here's who we want. Um, now, what I report is the belief of the players that 
I believe the Marlins want from the Braves and also who the Braves believe they'll have to give up to get Real Muto. That's the reporting that I've done on those players that have involved involved there. But there has not been a proposal that has gone from Miami to, to Atlanta, at least as of very recently, that says, okay, we want this, this, and this, and, and, this is, and this is what we want. They may have discussed it, they may have talked about it, but there has been nothing official, like, for example, when the Marlins sent them a proposal of said, give us Ozzy Albies for uh, Real Muto. Like, that was real. But since then, it's not that the Marlins haven't come down, it's just that they haven't said what we want or what they want. And so... Uh, once that happens, I think this process is going to p- pick up pretty quickly, but it just hasn't happened yet. And so maybe they're waiting a week or two. There's really no rush when you think about it. If they know that they're going to trade him, why not wait until Harper signs? Why not wait until Machado signs and then see who gets desperate and then see who ups their offer? It could very well be what the Marlins are doing, but I still think eventually they will trade him. You almost have to at this point, knowing that there there is almost a 0% chance that he would re-sign with Miami. The Harper thing is interesting because if the Phillies end up getting one of Harper or Machado, uh, like everybody thinks, and one would think that the Braves would then be more inclined to make a bigger splash because that would be the other three teams in contention all making significant signings in the offseason, which would, quite honestly, and this is a Braves fan hurts to say, but would surpass what the Braves have done and put the Braves – no longer in the catbird seat as far as in terms of the division, which I didn't necessarily think they would be anyway. But if the Phillies go out and get Machado or Harper, and then you've got Washington with who they've added, and then New York seems to be trying to sign anybody with a pulse that every other team has been after, then you're looking up and the Braves might become a little bit more desperate. Yeah, and it's also, you think about it this way from the Braves' point of view, there's there's two factors that you know doesn't get talked about all that much. Um, you hit it on Washington and you hit it on Philadelphia. I think those those points are true. The Mets, however way you look at it, they may not be better than the Braves, Phillies, or Washington, but they're going to be more competitive this year. They've added enough pieces to be more competitive, which could take wins away from the Braves. And by the way, if the Braves did take that extra step or do whatever it is required to get Real Muto, they are taking wins away from the Marlins and adding them to the Braves. So those are parts of this equation I think that certainly would hold true. Anthopolis does not strike me as the kind of executive that's going to react based on another team, but I can understand the restlessness from the Braves at this point because, simply put, every single, outside of Donaldson, every single trade or every single free agent has been kind of you know, dismissed at, at some point by someone. And so no one wants to hear that. Everyone wants to have their team in, and we're in, and we're trying, and we're in. And look, Anthopoulos, he works in the stealth mode. He doesn't want anybody to know what's going on. I have a lot of respect for that. Uh, But at the same time, if we get to February and all the Braves have done is add Donaldson, looking at this from an outsider covering the Marlins, depending on what else happens in the division, winning the division is no certainty like it was last year, that's for sure. No, I think I think you're absolutely right. The the Braves were uh, they had a losing record outside of the NL East last year, and and part of that was aided by the fact the Mets had a month where they went five and twenty five. The Phillies completely faded down the stretch. I mean, this the competition in the NL East next year is is going to be incredibly incredibly staunch. So you're right. I mean, anything that they can kind of do to pivot to take wins from anybody, whether whether it's the Marlins or the Mets or whoever, I think they kind of have to take it. 
Yeah, and Washington, even if they were to lose Harper, there is a chance. Look, it's a long way from being great, but you know, look at Harper's numbers. I mean, they, they haven't been MVP type. You know, Victor Robles may be a superstar in Washington. It's very possible. They were going to call him up until he got hurt, and then they called up Soto, and now he's a star. Let's say hypothetically Robles is 80% of what Harper is, and they added Corbin, and they added a catcher. So they've improved a lot. Let's say Philadelphia improves their team as well, and then they only win four or five games more than last year. That's possible, too. That makes them better. Washington's better. Mets are better. Marlins are about the same or worse. Braves are about the same or maybe a little bit better with their younger kids getting older. But I, I would think that, boy, it would, to me at least, and this is not pushing a trade with the Braves, like, you know, I, I want Real Newton, I would hope he would get traded at this point. It makes sense for both sides. If he goes to the Braves or not, that doesn't make a difference to me. I'm just reporting as it as, as I see it. But holding on to all these prospects for all of these years is a risky proposition. And, and not every team that undergoes these rebuilds uh, or buildups ends up getting to the promised land. And if I was a Braves fan and I'm looking at my, you know, it's great to hang on to these top 30s and top 50s. But if you have a chance to get the best player at a position in a game and there's something holding you back like a prospect. I don't know. I, I think I pulled the trigger. It's one of those tough things because it does come down to which prospect because uh, Soroka for me would be no, uh, even if you had to add extra quantity. It's it's a tough situation for Atlanta to be in as a team that's not traditionally a high-end spending team. Uh, so you, right. you have to mortgage it correctly because more than likely you're not going to be able to go out there and, and sign the quote-unquote ace guy. Uh, you're not going to get the $25 million pitcher. You're going to have to do things a little bit more substantially to create a run. But you're 100% right. At some point you do have to trade a lot of these young guys. Otherwise, you're going to take their own value down when they start becoming 24, 25, 26, and they're still in the minors because there's just no spot for them on the big league roster. Uh, one more baseball question before we get to the fun part of this little segment. Uh, just a real quick thing. Mm-hmm. Where do you think Manny and uh, Manny and Bryce end up signing? Wow, it is complete guessing and speculation. I mean, uh, to see... And I'm not sure when the podcast is going to be posted, but to see uh, media members being named and, and being called, having their information wrong on things, like this is a first for me. I've never seen this kind of stuff happen before. So I don't want to get mixed up in it, but I'll just simply guess that Machado ends up with the White Sox and Harper ends up with the Phillies. But I cannot believe that the Los Angeles Dodgers traded Yasiel Puig and traded all these players to just dump salary and do nothing. Is this the Dodgers' plan? Uh, look, if the Braves go into the season the way that they have, people will be disappointed, but they're not going to be upset. If I'm a Dodgers fan, what have you done? You, you've basically traded away viable players and done nothing else. Your catcher's gone. Um, you know, you're you're uh, you're out. One of your outfielders and Puig is gone. Alex Wood. I, I, I don't get what they're doing at all. So I predicted Harper would go to L.A. at the beginning of the offseason. I will stick with it, but obviously the reports seem to indicate Philadelphia. But I've gone on record as saying L.A., and it's not really fair to just keep changing as we go. It would seem very anti-L.A. to not get a single big fish. Nothing. (laughs) What are they doing? 
I don't know, but I, I enjoy that. Now, for the best part of this, you get to do a lot of baseball questions. So what we always like to do when we have guests on who are you know oh professional and everybody wants to know their baseball opinion, we like to get to know them as people. So Doc, the creative genius that he is, comes up with some questions that are guaranteed to get you off balance and humanize you a little bit to maybe the Braves fan that's still angry at you for saying that the Braves would dare trade Austin Riley. So what we have is our final segment called Extra Innings, and Doc, you do all the legwork on this, so you get to take it away well craig i uh, i've got six questions for you and hopefully i won't put you in a compromising position for any of these we'll start out with some pretty low-hanging fruit uh did you have any recurring nightmares as a kid and uh, if so what were they i didn't have any recurring nightmares but after i went to the university of florida in gainesville and after i graduated and for probably about, I would say, I don't know, maybe almost 10 years, every once in a while I would keep having these dreams that I was lost at on campus and I couldn't get to class and I couldn't figure out how to get there. And I'd wake up like out of these dreams and go, oh, that's right. I haven't been in college in like seven years. Why am I still worried about getting to class or being late? It was just the strangest thing. And I'd wake up right in the middle of, of Gainesville and just be like, where am I going? So as a kid, the answer is no. I had a pretty happy childhood. But as a young adult, up until maybe about eight, nine years ago, I was always like late for class. (laughs) I had graduated so long ago. It was the weirdest thing. Now, I uh, sometimes when when you hear people having dreams that are similar to that, they they make it to the actual class, but they're like giving a presentation while they're naked or or something like that. Well, that would have been a good, good way to end it. Unfortunately, it didn't happen to me that way. Well, it's University of Florida down in Gainesville, so you never know. That might might not even be happening in actual dreams. I got to, I had a had a recurring nightmare that I used to get trapped in a dresser drawer. I don't know if I did that because I was uh, claustrophobic as a kid, or that I developed claustrophobia because I kept having that nightmare. So yeah, I saw that on Seinfeld once. They seem pretty comfortable though. Well, it it depends. I mean, if you're just in the drawer and there's nothing else in there, you know, it's just you're just in a wooden box. It's basically like a coffin. So I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Every my, my producer on Sirius XM has dreams about falling in the shower. So everybody has their thing. Yeah, I don't know if that's Gucci or Peanut, but he's he's definitely weighing in on the uh, on the situation. Sounds right like now. it. That <laughs> is uh, that is Gucci. I apologize. He is a uh, very loud little dog. Now he's a he's a guest contributor. Um, makes good points makes better points than me uh, you and me both a little dickhead um, all right so second question um most of the time everybody knows your words as their types or they hear you on the radio and probably get less facetime exposure than anything else so this might not be uh quite as relevant but do you have a celebrity doppelganger yes i've been told that i look like uh jim mora jr the former head coach of the falcons former ucla coach as well yes i've been told that a lot i've also been told ryan seacrest but i think that's just like to make me feel good but jim mora jr is is the one that has i've a lot of people have told me that before so you guys would have to decide on that i'm not sure and pull up your picture now and we can we can weigh in on that one we'll give the you'll have to do like a real google there because my my (laughs) twitter picture is just like there's this i i've toyed around with changing my twitter picture so many times that i've never pulled the trigger i know i have to do it people have told me but i've had the same one for at least like 10 years there's a lot of jim mora in that picture i'm looking at it right now yeah i don't know but either way i've been told that so go run with it if you want 
<laughs> what about you, Doc? Do you have a doppelganger? You know, I I don't think I I do. I've I have been told I was told Ben Stiller once, but I can tell you now I look nothing like Ben Stiller. I was also told Paul Walker once, and my response to that was, "I don't think you know what Paul Walker looks like." <laughs> um, yeah. So no, I, I don't. I don't think I do. Do you, have, Dylan? I think you you do, don't you? I did uh, when I was younger and had more hair. Uh, Keanu Reeves was the one that I got all the time. Oh, that's um, a good one. That's solid. As I've uh, gotten older and am no longer in quite as good a shape, I don't know who it would be anymore. Nobody flattering like- anymore. You're like beer league Keanu, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I think the other day that somebody, I think I used a Keanu the other day, or it was I don't know. At least I respond to a lot, but somebody said basically uh, to me recently, like, "How do you know that you're right and somebody else isn't wrong?" And my response was, "I am Dio." So I gave it. <laughs> <Keanu. laughs> oh, that's awesome. So. Well, Moving on to the next one. Craig, how old are you, if you don't mind me asking? 45. 45. 45. Okay. Okay. So, were you a Sesame Street kid? Uh, a little bit. A little bit. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I, I watched it. I had a few of the toys. I was really into the um, the Muppets, I think, was my thing. Okay. Okay. Well, the the question as currently posed is favorite Sesame Street character, but we can pivot to Muppets if you want. Who's your favorite? No, we can do whatever. It's fine. I mean, we can do Sesame Street. We can do Muppets. We did. We asked this once upon a time, and it wound up in a month long discussion about Ninja Turtles. So we can get yeah, that. That I want. wasn't a big fan. I had that on Nintendo. I played that. I thought it was a good game. But uh, we could do Sesame Street. I'm familiar with the characters. Yeah. Who do you? Who was your your favorite? Who did you? Uh, uh, Bert and Ernie, for sure. Bert and Ernie, for sure. Mm-hmm. So, were you more Bert or Ernie? I think the only difference was um, Ernie had the his head was a football that was sideways, and Bert was the the yellow football that was up on the tee. I think that was the only difference. I don't know that I'm either one of those. Maybe more Bert than Ernie. I guess. I don't know. Yeah, yeah maybe. Fair enough. Dylan, part of the reason why we wound up having to pivot to Ninja Turtles was because you weren't <laughs> into the Muppets. But did you ever have a uh, any affiliation for Sesame Street? I mean, I've watched it sometimes. I wasn't a big Sesame Street fan other than Cookie Monster. That's that's it. That's all you need to say. No, that's a good one. That's a good default. I always kind of uh, – I have a pillow still that my mom – uh, made for me when I was like three or four with Grover on it. Like it's it's in the next room. I still have that pillow, so I'm I'm going. Uh, I'm either Grover or Snuffleupagus. I, I mean, I've had to go through all these again, you know, because I have a uh, a 12 year old daughter, so she went through it once, and my son is six, so we've gone through um, you know Sesame Street a little bit. But the good thing about now, as opposed to when I was a kid, is that there's just so many options on television and on, you know, you know, on the iPad, um, for, for him to watch. So he is, he's into it all. Like I, I probably am more educated on kids shows than I am baseball. I mean, that's really my go to. <laughs> well, what is uh, neither Dylan nor I have, have kids, but so what, what is the, the big thing now? I mean, where does Sesame street um, go? On the Nowhere power close. That's way down. That's like, that's not even, that's, that's like, you know, where is that? That's like the Orioles, you know? Like you have, you, 
Like you got to go all the way down. I w- if I use the Marlins and they're listening to this, they get mad at me. So I'm gonna say I use the Orioles for this. Um, I, I think um, you know the, the uh, Disney Channel has a lot of, of popular ones. So they have um, you know Muppet Babies now is back on the air. There's the show uh, called PJ Masks, which is a very popular Disney one. On Nickelodeon, they have Paw Patrol. Everyone's seen that before. But my my son's kind of grown out of that a little bit. And then now there's this YouTube sensation. I don't know if you've heard of this, but there's a kid named Ryan. And he's this YouTube sensation. And he makes a million dollars a year for posting YouTube. He's like six years old. And they have like a clothing line and there's toys. And so my son, he goes to the TV and the remote has the Netflix on there now. And it has the YouTube. So he just presses the YouTube. And he searches and he watches these, you know, Ryan videos and he wants the toys and the surprise eggs and all these other things. So, again, I, I could do I could do three hours on these shows and, and what he watches and all this stuff. There's a six year old that makes a million dollars a year. Absolutely. Look it up. Yeah. His name is Ryan. Ryan's uh, toy review. Or Ryan's family review. Yeah. A million dollars. Yep. I, I now I I hate to say this, but I've got a new I've got a new scheme. I've got a new get rich quick scheme. Well, Dylan, yeah. you can't you can't go reviewing toys. Not for me, but I've got nieces, I've got nephews, I've got little cousins. No, the problem fair. is now he thinks that he's going to be on YouTube and he's going to be a big YouTuber, you know. And my wife is like, "You're never going to be on YouTube. <laughs> You're not going to do it." It's hard. It is, <laughs> well, a, it is a weird, weird changing of the guard where it's a uh, you have to start telling kids. Uh, you have to be realistic. You can't expect to be a YouTube sensation, <laughs> right? I'm trying to teach my kid little league. He's got his tryouts next week, and he's he's you know, more concerned with being a YouTuber. That's that. I mean, talk about change. Yeah, I, I did not did not see that coming. But yeah, that that's where usually the go to cartoons. He also on Netflix watches uh, Super Monsters, and there's uh, Inspector Gadget. Like we used to know, it's kind of come back a little bit. They have a couple of seasons of that. Uh, so you know, anytime you guys want to have me on to do you know kids cartoon shows i am just i'm very well caught up on that i will never forget sesame street being comped to the baltimore orioles i can i can pretty much promise you that um so no that's no no that's no that's that's fantastic it's it's funny man like when you know my my niece is uh, is 16 and so in recent years there was you know is she too young to uh, to have an Instagram, she's too young to have a Facebook. She had Snapchat for a, a little while, and everybody's just like, "Yeah, that was that was a bad idea." So now I'm looking at it, going, "Well, maybe she's is she too old to to have her own YouTube channel?" It sounds it sounds like she might be if this if this six year old is like he's got the the market corner on it. So yeah, my daughter has an Instagram, but it's it's uh, private. Uh, I don't have Facebook uh, or Instagram. Uh, my wife and I made a pact like going back you know 20 years or whatever when this came out that we neither of us were going to do facebook because uh, my wife felt that so many people were going to contact me from my past and want to hang out and do things which is nonsense but either way i I said okay no problem i won't do it but twitter of course uh and she's threatened me a couple times with twitter you you don't need a twitter i'm like just you know come on you have no (laughs) idea what you're talking about that's not going anywhere so so i never did facebook I never did uh, Snapchat, um, and my daughter has a couple of them, but we have them protected. Because just in case Romuto doesn't go to the Braves, we don't want people like yelling at her saying it was her fault. <laughs> well, you know, just got to put her in touch with the uh, with the Marlins front office. Maybe she could be the catalyst to make something happen. Maybe, maybe. 
you never know. Well, so you mentioned on Twitter, and one of the uh, one of the biggest debates that will wind up raging was started with is a hot dog a sandwich, and then it, it has devolved into uh, is a wrap a sandwich, or there's these pointless kind of food debates. So I actually wanted to bring one of those uh, to this and ask you: Does pineapple belong on pizza? Yes, I like pineapple on pizza. I've had Hawaiian pizza many times. It oh, does no. depend on the where you're getting the pizza from i've had really bad hawaiian pizza before um and and i would say that i eat a lot of pizza at least once or twice a week if not more but out of every hundred pizzas that i get i would say pineapple is maybe on one or two but i don't dislike it i definitely would eat it and i have eaten it in the past it just comes down to i think the pizza place like what kind of pizza they make and what toppings you really like and um, at least for me, but I am pro pineapple for sure. Dylan, I think I heard some rumbling coming out of you over there. No, I'm on the other side of this war. We're on now. It's you know Avengers Civil War, and one of us is Captain America, the other's Iron Man. I pizza doesn't need to be sweet. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Okay. I think it adds to the complexity of the flavor profile. You get some oh, savory, come on. you get some sweet. Look, all I'm saying is if, if I'm in a position where I've got the the option of ham or or pineapple, one or the other, I'm taking pineapple all day long. The ham does not belong on pizza. Pineapple. Pineapple belongs on pizza. Do you realize but, how much of a hipster you just sounded? It adds to the complexity of the piece. Yeah, well, you know what? I'm, I've, I have found my niche. I'm leaning into it. I'm getting out of baseball and podcasting. I'm, I'm going to go be a hipster douche. And start start a, a food podcast over my, there too. My Greg, refined you're, you're palate. So so, what did we determine here that ham is good and pineapple is not? Vice versa, both. I don't get it. Which where did we go? See, to me, I think I think pineapple is is fantastic and does belong. If I was going to have to remove one of the items from a pineapple pizza, it would be the ham. But to me, they complement each other. They work. Well, you know who I heard doesn't like either. Who's that? Bowman. <laughs> Touche. He doesn't like. He doesn't like ham. He doesn't That's like. That's what pineapple. I heard. I already likes neither. That's just messed up. You see, this is. That's not <laughs> just. I'm kidding, obviously. I was gonna say that's. That seems like a weird time to throw shade. But that's you know some what? real like breaking it. news. Listen, at some point, at some point, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get to be able to do it. I hope. <laughs> Otherwise, I have to hide. Well. We will uh, we will not alert him to the to this episode if, uh, if it's a, it's a, he's perfectly fine. I have again I have no no issue with with anybody here, but it is kind of funny um, to to be there. But I figured I'd, I'd throw a reference out there. Why not? No, I love it. So we got we got uh, one more question, and then we're we're going to ask you to to tell a story. So this final question is you know you said you got a twelve year old and a six year old, so I would imagine that there's some board games that wind up coming out in your house relatively yes. often. Mm-hmm. Um, what is a board game that causes you to just kind of uh, lose all sympathy for your fellow players? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, we do a lot of Candyland here, and I'm willing to lose a lot at that. Um, you know, I really that's it's it's not that it's a tough question, but when I'm but since I have young kids, I lose a lot, and I really. You know, I I like to see them win, so so they don't get upset. But I guess that's not a good parenting way—is just to let your kids win all the time. But <laughs> I kind of do that, so I don't really have, I don't really have one. I don't think in particular. We play Monopoly and we play Candyland, but you know, again, there's these games. I don't know, you know when when you go to Target or you go to Walmart, 
there's these like $20 games in the uh, toy area. And and the games break like in ten minutes. I think you know, Gooey Louie and uh, you know, like all these nonsense type games. Like I bring them home, the kids play them for like a day, and they're done. And those I really like. But the one game that I would play, it's not a board game, but the one game that I hate losing, and uh, my daughter's gotten really good at it, so it's getting annoying. Is Galaga? Galaga was I thought that I was the champion of it, and the other day she got. A hundred and like seventy thousand on it, or something like that. And we have an actual Galaga machine in the house. And um, I'm, I'm like, I like kind of quit. Like, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't think I could beat her. Like, I cannot get up to a hundred and seventy thousand. You know, uh, rage quitting a good, a good old fashioned arcade game like that. I mean, that takes you back to your youth, right there. You've got, you've got the like the full on arcade version in your house. There, there's actually a company that came out this year. And I believe the, the name of the company is called Arcade One Up, and they reproduced all of uh, the classic arcade games in three quarter scale. So not fully as big, but three quarter. And you have to, you know, that you it comes in a box, and then you build it, put it together. You know, it takes about an hour, and then you basically have an arcade. So we bought Pac-Man, and we bought uh, Galaga, and yeah, there's a chance I still may get more, but. I think those two for now are fine, but it's about again three quarter scale. No, that's very cool. That is very cool. Well, look, we've got just one one last question for you, and this is one thing that we ask all of our guests when we do extra innings uh, to kind of humanize you of just a little bit more. We have to ask you to tell an embarrassing childhood story. Oh, an embarrassing childhood story. Oh man, let me think. Let me think about it. Hmm. I don't really I have to I don't really have any really embarrassing ones. Um, I, nothing nothing really comes to mind. I, I'm like giving you guys a dead end here. I, I apologize. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to think of something. Um, okay, I have a good one. Okay, here's a good one. So, and I've told this story before. Uh, this story before. So when we uh, you know, as growing up, I played baseball through little league, um, and then all the way through junior league, and then up until uh, high school. And so I was an okay player, good defensively, uh, okay with the bat. If I got on base, I could steal second. That was fast. But, you know, once I started seeing curveballs, it was like, whoa, like that's it. I don't, th- I don't think I'm getting any further than this. So uh, one day we had practice uh, for high school, for high school practice. And after practice, everyone leaves, and the coach says that he wants to talk to me. And so I, I didn't know what it was about. I figured, okay, like maybe I got to work on something better or something like that. And he says, you know, Craig, here's the, here's the situation. You're okay. You know, you're not going to really play a lot. You know, you'll, <laughs> you'll probably make the team. It's not going to be a lot of fun. But, uh, you know, when somebody needs a day off, you may play. But for the most part, you know, you're just going to come in when, and run. That's going to be it. You know, like you're not a great hitter. Um, you know, defensively sure, but I want to tell you, you would be really good at announcing all of the names of the teams when we come up home and road. So why don't you go up to the, so just, you know, quit, but you could still kind of be around the team, but you'll be the PA announcer for the high school. And I said, okay. (laughs) And so I, I was like, like taken so back i was so upset i was like oh my gosh like he really thinks i suck but my parents are like well you could turn a negative into a positive 
and become the PA announcer. And who knows? That may lead into a broadcasting career. And, you know, my father's like, come on, you got to be honest with yourself. You know you're never going to make it to the big leagues or anything like that. I'm like, yeah, I know, but it was just kind of fun. So all my friends are still in the team, and here I am, and I end up being the PA announcer, and that was the last time that I played any kind of organized baseball. So a little bit older as as a child, probably like 15, 16 years old, but that's what happened. I mean, hats off to that coach for being honest. What's that? Hats off to that coach. That's the nicest way to tell a kid, hey, uh, I don't want you on my squad. Because he knew that I was going to be some sort of broadcaster at some point. Like, I've always wanted to do this. So I think that, uh, you know, in high school, I was all also like the pep rally committee chairman. When they had the pep rallies, I was the guy, you know, pumping everybody up for the football games, running around. Um, I was actually, this is the first self-gratificating thing that I've said as we end. I was the homecoming king in my high school. So, like, I was the kind of guy that was always talking, you know. I was getting in trouble a lot, too, in high school also. Not for, like, you know, beating anybody up. I'd get beat up, if anything. But I was the one that was, you know, talking back and making jokes and, you know, getting attention. And I just think that he looked at it and said, hey, this guy will be a good announcer. And um, and we should we should have him do that. It was the kind way to do it because obviously I wasn't a very good player when it got to that point. But that's kind of the way it worked out. But you leveraged it, you know. You wound up I leveraged own- it into a yeah. into a Braves podcast. Turned it into a career. Go. There it is. There you go. Full circle. That's impressive. Well, Craig, man, you congratulations! You have completed uh, extra innings. You have performed admirably. So, thank you for uh, for letting us um, grill you on some baseball stuff, and then plenty of non baseball stuff as well. Listen, it's it's uh, it's great to be on with you guys. I always appreciate it, and um, you know, I do the best I can with the reporting. I can't force the player to go to any team. If I could, on all fronts. I w- you know, it would be better for me <laughs> for this to be done and for for him to be on the Braves. Of course, it would be great for me. But, uh, you know, I just appreciate all the support that, that people give me on social media. I try to have more fun with this than a lot of other people, too. And so sometimes I get caught with things that I say and, and the percentages and the fun that I have. But in the end, uh, everyone should just kind of know that I'm uh, I'm a fan like everybody else and just having fun. So thank you so much for having me again. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks again for coming on with us. And we will hit you back up again uh, and get your thoughts once the offseason kind of winds down and we can get some predictions thrown out for uh, the actual teams. I look forward to it. Thanks again for having me. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back right here on the Platinum Sombrero. everybody welcome back to the platinum sombrero before we get started on this next segment just wanted to take a second to tell you guys about tix blitz the official ticket provider of the armchair network so many times you lock in on an event you go online to buy tickets and you find yourself straddled with 20 30 dollars in extra fees it takes half the fun out of even going shouldn't be that way and with tix blitz it's not the price you see is the price you pay no hidden fees no mystery tax no unnecessary service charges go to your game go to your concert your broadway show whatever catches your fancy. And if you're looking to save a little bit more cash, 
Use our promo code armchair for 5% off your order. That's T-I-X-B-L-I-T-Z.com. Guaranteed seats, guaranteed goosebumps. Sounds pretty incredible to me. Yeah, you and me both. I mean, no, uh, no, no seat fees like you get on SeatGeek or Ticketmaster. I'm probably going to use that a fair bit this year. Yeah, I think so. I think so, too. Season will be starting here pretty soon. And I, for one, am excited to see. We talked about it with Craig Mish. It was fun to see. Hopefully you guys uh, can kind of gather what it is to, to, to be uh, reporting. I don't want to say he's a beat guy. He's got his own. He's got his own. He's a radio host and all that stuff. But he's got his own sources in there. Everybody has uh, their own sources that they trust. So hopefully you guys can kind of uh, see where he's coming from as well. And for what it's worth, as I said during the interview, uh, I lean towards believing Mish's reports more than I believe Bowman's. Um, as it is, though, I think every team has their line, and the truth, as always, tends to be somewhere in the middle. Yeah, and just because one guy has a source and the other guy doesn't have a different source, I mean, there's there's all kinds of sources, and they're not all going to have the same information. So just the the specificity that, that Mish has had over this entire saga is something that guys like Bowman and D.O.B. have not had. So it lends credence because very rarely do sources, when you've got the quote-unquote anonymous source, very rarely do you get specific names. And generally speaking, when you get a specific name, generally that's the right track. Well, yeah, and, and the, he has doubled and tripled and quadrupled down on this. You know, some guys will, will throw out some outrageous claim, and then the next thing you know, oops, this guy who, who was saying that Machado was going to sign with the Yankees has deleted his Twitter, and he was never heard from again. Mitch <laughs> keeps saying, listen, this is what is going on, I am telling you. So, I mean, I like Bowman. You know, I like D.O.B., but on this, this particular topic, Mitch has zero reason to, to be lying about this. And like I said, he's been oddly specific. So uh, big thanks to Craig for, for coming on and, and helping kick off the NL East preview series. You know, we're going to be doing this with, with the Phillies, the Mets, the uh, Nationals, and uh, maybe we'll even do it with the Braves. Maybe we'll throw you guys a bone. Maybe we'll have Young Gabe back in here. Right. But speaking of that, of, of sources and, and the weird nature of getting into sources, uh, if you guys were paying attention, what was it, last night, the night before, might have been Monday night, uh, you might have got something weird where it looked like Marwin Gonzalez for all of about 30 minutes was signed to a three-year, $56 million contract by the Atlanta Braves. And then you, know, you go to check it out, and all of a sudden you get four or five different guys saying, no, 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 that's not happening. You get uh, Alex Anthopoulos refuting it with Bowman, saying that they don't have any offers out to any specific free agent. Kind of a, a weird thing right there. Yeah, I mean, you can certainly see where Marwin Gonzalez would be a great addition to the Braves, but you know, we all... We all got super hype. We're like, "Oh, this is one of the moves we've been waiting Hot for. This is great!" Yeah, and then and then the hour was over, and we're like, "Well, that was sure fun while it lasted." And the but guy it, deleted was, the tweet, so that that lets you know who was right on that one. Well, and and everybody, you know, you can this fan base is starving for news, and it's funny too because everybody went into battle mode. Like there was there was five seconds of celebration and then it was you know people fighting with other people about the length of the contract or the accuracy of the report and all the you know it just was it was a free-for-all in no time and then you know we all looked up from the mob scene and said oh 
this is all pointless because he's not signing here anyway, so that doesn't matter. But it just it lends a little bit of credence to how how desperate we are for something, anything to happen. You know, details of the contract leak out for three years and fifty six million dollars, which kind of steep. That would be kind of steep if that if that winds up going being an avenue that they want to go down. You'd seriously be hoping that the twenty seventeen Marwin comes back and not the twenty eighteen Marwin. Yeah, and he he could be kind of a mentor for Camargo for you know the playing and playing all over the field or the the mindset that comes along with it. I mean, he did win a World Series while he was with the Astros, so he's got he's got plenty of experience and he's a, a great asset. But um, twenty eighteen Marwin Gonzalez does not quite pull down eighteen point six million dollars a year for me now that's a a little steep i want to touch on that a little bit is it are we getting to a point where versatility is very important thing but that kind that's kind of like the new go word is can you play more than one position are we starting to get to a point where we're overvaluing versatility for the sake of versatility like if the best thing that i can say about you is that you can play five different positions i don't know if that it's good that you can play everywhere I still need you to be good somewhere, I guess is what I'm getting at. Is it better suited to get a guy who is really good at one position as opposed to a guy who's kind of good? Like Derek Dietrich is the name that people tend to throw around a lot. To me, Dietrich is a guy that he's not really good anywhere. He can play multiple spots, but everywhere he plays, he's you know below average. If the best thing that I can say about you is you're versatile, I don't know if that really makes you – a, a an A plus an A target as opposed to a C or a D. No, I th- I think you're right, and I think that um, y- it only takes one look at the 2018 Phillies to see why over exploiting versatility can backfire. But if you can't, if one of the positions you're really good at is not hitter, then it doesn't matter how right. good you are, really. You know, like and and having guys like Marlon uh, Mar. Marwin. Sorry, Craig Mish episode. I got Marlins on the brain. Um, having Marlin, guys like Marlins on my mind. <laughs> when you got Marwin and Culberson, truthfully, kind of was able to, to take that step from being utility to super utility um, last year, like being able to fill in admirably somewhere and not having there be a noticeable drop off in production. You know, that's that's huge. But I mean, it's you're right that it is kind of like the, the new the newfangled buzzword that people are just throwing out there. It's like, oh, he can do so-and-so-and-so, and and he can play eight positions. Well, that's great, but unless your ability is equal at all all those different positions, then it's to the detriment of the team in certain certain spots. Right, and it's one of those. And you were the. By the way, we should mention that uh, arbitration is finished. All the players that were eligible for arbitration did, in fact, get paid. Uh, Fulty coming in just under five and a half million. Kevin Gosman gets the most at nine, almost almost nine and a half. Uh, Vizzy getting a little bit more than you and I thought, getting close to five. Adam Duvall almost three million. We'll talk about him in a second. Johnny Ventures with two and a quarter, but I believe that was agreed upon before arbitration. Uh, Sam Freeman getting a million and a half, and Charlie Culberson at one point four million. Any of those surprise you? I think they're all they're all kind of about right on. I mean, having the MLB trade rumors doing the the projections or the estimates. I mean, for for the most part, I mean those were within two hundred and fifty. They were grand, they were dead I mean? on with those this year. 
Yeah, they 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 know what they're what they're doing over there. I mean, so and and Duval was under and Gosman was over. So I mean, all things considered, I, I don't have the exact figure in front of me, but I think it was about five hundred and fifty thousand over the projected cost, which not bad at all. Not no for 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 that level of of predictions across that many different players where you've got the different variables. I think that that's that's very right on. I um I do like the fact that. Uh, Fulty got paid, you know, he, he earned, he earned that raise, you know, uh, he, he didn't wind up getting locked into anything long-term, but I think that, um, being able to just kind of avoid the, that messy situation from last off season with hundred grand, which I do think that the whole thing about, Oh, they went to arbitration over hundred grand. I think that whole narrative got a little bit overblown. Well, it gets overblown um, because neither side knows what the other is going to report to the arbiter. Right. Exactly. Like that just because so, Fulty said I want whatever it was other I want four million and the Braves said we want to pay three point nine. Just because that's what gets reported to the arbiter does not mean in any way, shape, or form that that's what they were reporting to each other. Right. So so that that whole thing, like we and it comes back to the point I've made a thousand times. We know more than we used to, but in the grand scheme we still don't actually know anything that's going on behind the scenes. So um yeah, I I I kind of like it. I mean, Gossman is is in the third or fourth year of of Arb. I can't. I think he was super two. Um, so I, so I can't remember. Was. This, this, I think this, this should be yeah, his last is, year of arbitration, if I'm not mistaken. I think I can't. I cannot recall. I'm half ashamed of myself because I can't remember how much how much time he's got left on his deal. But I mean, that's that's about right for a guy who's been a solid, consistent, even if um, unspectacular for the for the past couple of years. You know, that's he's in the position to be making making nine point three five million dollars. So that's that's about right. And and they didn't wind up just completely going rogue and, and giving Culberson nine million dollars or, you know, giving Sam Freeman 40 bucks or, or whatever. So I, th- I think it's oh, about right now. Actually, these are all by the non, way, non guaranteed Gosman, not super two. Apparently he has another year of arbitration next year. OK, OK, cool. So so he's got um, got two years left on in Atlanta. So. So yeah, I mean, I think it's about right. I I do kind of wish that JT Real Muto had taken taken the Marlins to trial just for that kind of that last little uh, turn of the dagger, just a <laughs> right. uh, little parting shot, you know, pooping in the in the tank of the toilet uh, right before right before he leaves the house party. So um, I've seen yeah, a lot of people I, talking about Charlie Culbertson's as well, wondering why he didn't get more. I do want to make a point about Charlie Culberson. Uh, it was spectacular what he did for us last year. Uh, he was a real jolt offensively, which was needed with the way that certain players that I'm not going to mention uh, disappointed offensively. Charlie was a welcome addition, and you had a lot of guys miss a lot of time, and you really didn't miss a beat with Charlie in there. Uh, that is not something that you should expect to see in 2019. That has not been Charlie's MO. It's very rare that a player at 27, 28 years old all of a sudden figures something out that he didn't realize when he was 24. Uh, so I think the 1.4 number for him is a is a good number. Now, obviously, if he goes out and he produces this season the same way he did last season, he'll be in line to make quite a bit more. And that that's why they have this process set up the way that they do. So you get – Bear, you get the league minimum for five hundred and fifty-five thousand for the first couple of years, and then based on your performance as you keep rolling through the system, I mean, there's nothing saying that that Culberson is not going to go out next year and replicate that performance and be entitled to to being a four million dollar bench bat. But at the same time, if he goes back to 
any version of Charlie Culberson that wasn't playing in 2018, then, you know, he's going to stall out. You know, I, I hopefully, I mean, my God, what a great story he was. He, he was, you can make a case that he was uh, the MVP of, of this team just based on how out of nowhere he was, you know what I mean? To even to consider that with, with what Acuna did. Oh uh, yeah. And, let, and let's hold off there. Acuna's MVP of the team. That was obvious. Yeah. Just let me have my narrative real quick, man. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, th- like I said, th- this is why they've got it set up the way that they do to where you're, you're setting up on, a, on an escalating scale like that. So if, if he goes out and he's 27 and Culberson next year, then, then he's not going to wind up being subject to a, to a massive raise. So, it's, it's about right for me based on where he is in his career. And we touched on it with Craig Mish, but it really lets you know something when you're so starved for news in the free agent offseason that uh, arbitration figures are what everybody's tuned in for. Yeah, I, I feel like this is the third or fourth time that we brought it up on the show, and I, you know, I'm so I'm glad that we have that to talk about. You know, <laughs> right. You know, everybody, there wound up being a, a, a Twitter uh, kerfuffle earlier this week. DOB floated the idea of the Braves getting Hunter Renfro because he was from Mississippi. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, well, that's stupid. You should never require a guy because he's from a certain part of town. And then everybody jumped back in the melee. You know, we, we were we were mad about the Mar- the Marvin Gonzalez thing. And then it's like, oh, well, I still want to fight about something. Ooh, I can fight about Hunter Renfro. Now. Well, let's talk about that. Cause DOB did mention like there's, there's no legs to that rumor. It's just pure him trying to find a guy that may fit. Now I don't really care about Hunter Renfro. Uh, full disclosure. I absolutely loved Hunter Renfro when he was in college. Uh, I thought he was going to be far better, far more consistent at the plate than he has been. He still has the power that I thought, but this is a guy that was a really good hitter in college. And, can barely make contact in the pros. Um, more importantly, more important to me though is attaching Kirby Yates. That's the one that I, I really do like. Kirby Yates. I think he's kind of miscast as a closer over there in San Diego. I think he works best when he's a setup man or a seventh inning guy. Where you saw last year, where until he was a closer, I think he had like a one seven ERA, something incredible. But adding both of those guys in there, that's not a bad under the radar deal. Now. Renfro should not preclude you from finding an actual upgrade in a corner. And, and we had talked in last week or the week before about how when you're looking at possible acquisitions, there are no perfect players really out that are available, you know, Starling the, the ones, the, some of the, the, the best ones are, you know, they're, under contract for $35 million out in LA and they're, they're not going anywhere. Starling Marte. But I, I, I do. I've been pushing for Starling Marte since, since the beginning of this beginning of this off season, but his skill set at $5.5 million, Pittsburgh is a very low budget team or a very small market team. We should say, and they, that that's a cash cow for them. You know, you can't, uh, you can't expect them to, to wind up moving him, which even le- let's disregard the fact that I that I've been after him all season. But you look at you look at a guy like Hunter Renfro, and you say, okay, twenty six home runs, playing half of his games at Petco, and another say ten games out in San Francisco. Um, that's it's pretty good, you know. That's uh, those are big boy parts. So by coming to a place like SunTrust, that would that would probably tick up his defense is. Um, Better than I thought. It's a little below average. Just a little. Everybody everybody makes this out like he's a like some Matt Kemp level defender. He's not. He's not a great defender, but he's he's serviceable out there. You can get away with having him out there. And 
as you mentioned, playing in Petco and playing a lot of games in uh, uh, San San Francisco. You you move him over here where the parks are smaller and a little bit easier to navigate. His defense should tick up a touch as well. And once once again, we made the point about Nick Castellanos about the front office made Nick Marquez as a Gold Glover. So what could they do for a guy that's actually bad on defense as opposed to just being average? A uh, guy like Renfro, you know, he's twenty six, twenty seven. You know, he's still got his youth about him. He's going to use it as fast now as he's going to be. So. You could make the argument that the power in the defense would play up if he were to come here. He is not the hitter he was in college, which That's is too the bad. Question. He, he was he was playing in the SEC, which is which is elite level as far as college baseball goes. But and in, I don't know, that, in was, that draft, he was one of the best college hitters as far as being able to put the bat on the ball too. If he could just hit two forty five, two fifty, you'd be and he, you'd be ecstatic. He did, I believe. Yeah, I think here, I'm I'm pulling up his pulling up his line right now, but I think that he's a, a guy that's going to wind up giving you 800 OPS, um, even if he has to lean on the slugging more than the actual OBP for that. So, and there's no real there's no real splits with him. I was looking at that the other day. He doesn't really have any defined splits where he's way better against lefties or righties. In fact, I think he hit more homers against right-handers last year. So last year he was uh, batting average 248. OBP is 302, which is not fabulous. Uh, slugging was 504. Once again, he was doing this in a very cavernous park. Where the runs created plus was 114, which is that's all right. It's uh, a little above see. average. Yeah, I mean, I would I would take this, you know. And if you com- you compare that to his 2017 walks have gone up, strikeouts have gone down. Um, He's presently trending in the right direction. He was a one and a half war player last year, and the average is creeping up a little bit, other than his first cup of coffee in 2016, where he came out gangbusters and everybody thought that he was kind of like the next big guy out there. I I just want to see some more. If it's not going to be more consistent hits, then he does need to learn to take more walks because the 7% walk rate is not going to cut it. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. And the main reason why this this was of interest to me was because I remember last February seeing reports that the Braves were looking around. This is right around the time that the Rays were getting rid of Corey Dickerson. Uh, reports surfaced that the Braves were looking for an outfielder. And Dickerson was being floated by some people, but but Renfro was dropped by Morosi, uh, J.P. Morosi, and a couple of others. So, I mean, the precedent is there for the Braves to have some level of interest in him. Now, once again, this is probably DOB just um, throwing something against the wall and seeing what sticks, but it wouldn't surprise me if they had at least looked into this. It wouldn't surprise me if every single outfielder, whether uh, upper tier or bottom tier, that they had just kind of looked around for to see uh, what the cost of acquisition would be. Now, there's another deal with San Diego that could possibly be on the table. Um, Padres Padres farm system is bonkers right now, but they kind of have a log jam in their outfield. And there was kind of some chatter that they were going to try and work a three-team deal where they would acquire Corey Kluber only to turn around and flip him in the hope that they could wind up getting a long-term third base asset. Uh, Nick Senzel's name of the Cincinnati Reds was particularly floated out there. So do you think, Dylan Short, that there's a possibility for there to be a three-team deal between the Padres, the Indians, and the Braves, where Austin Riley, who has been floated in these JTR rumors, 
could possibly wind up being the piece that goes to San Diego plus, obviously, and then outfielder plus go to Cleveland and then Corey Kluber comes to Atlanta. I think ultimately it would depend on what goes, but if you're asking me if I would rather get JT or get Kluber, obviously I'd rather get Kluber. Three-team trades, honestly, I know one has already ha- – or I know that everybody talks about three teams and the Braves almost worked a three-team with the Yankees and the Rangers and the – was it? The Yankees and the Athletics. Um, usually I don't think that three teams are a good – how can I put this? I don't think they're very realistic. There's There's – there's a lot of moving pieces in a in a two team trade. You add a third team, that's a whole lot more that you're adding to the table there. I would like to see it just because I think uh, if if you're saying that you're okay with trading Austin Riley for a a a high end asset, Corey Kluber is a better player than JT Real Muto, and you can talk about JT is the best catcher in the game. Yes, uh, but Corey Kluber is a true number one ace type pitcher, and the difference between an ace pitcher and a normal number one is a bigger gap than the best catcher and say the fifth best catcher catcher is kind of a barren wasteland right now. So it's, it's, you know, it's nice to have JT, but it's not like everybody else has these stud catchers. So you have to, you have to upkeep. You need one of these top level pitchers to compete with the other three teams that you're competing with in the national league East. You talk about the nationals. We all know what they have. The Mets of course have, two aces, maybe three, depending on how Zach Wheeler does next year. And then the Phillies still have Aaron Nola. So a Kluber type would be, for me, the ultimate addition. Yeah, and it would it would certainly shore up the rotation. Uh, that does kind of put you in a position to either A, have to move Julio Tehran, or shut out somebody like Soroka or Tukey. Or, I mean, unless you have intentions of going – with a six-man rotation just to keep everybody fresh, which they toyed with last year, but I don't know if that's a fully long-term I don't think any. Pitchers I don't think people. any manager can make themselves do that. Well, p- pitchers are creatures of habit. You know, they it's five days, five days, five days, five days. They want every five days. So uh, wh- where possible, where, you know, uh, off days will sometimes throw wrenches and plans and, and stuff, but – but yeah, I think getting Kluber, you know what? You just deal with it. If you get if you get Corey Kluber and Soroka has to start in Gwinnett, he'll forgive you eventually. You know what I mean? If if you if you got Corey Kluber, if the biggest problem you've got is, damn, I have too many really good pitchers, well, that's fine. That that is just fine. You sort it out later. I mean, it, it, it's an interesting thing. I would love to get Corey Kluber on here. Um, at this point, though, you, you start looking around. As I've maintained, I don't think bullpen is nearly as big of an issue. I'd like to add a Cody Allen. I would absolutely love to add an Adam Adovino. Um, but a Justin Wilson would work out well. And I don't know if they even really attack the bullpen because there's going to be some natural matriculation with these starters that don't make the starting rotation, but you want to keep on the big league club guys like Max Freed, who I – think is tragically missing a shot that he deserves um bryce wilson kyle wright tuki toussaint mike soroko they're all battling for at this point right now one rotation spot you had kluber you'd figure tehran would go away so that would still be one maybe they trade tehran in in some sort of package or whatever and that would open up a second spot but as this is right now you got four or five arms competing for one spot those guys are not all going to go right to gwinnett because you have other guys in gwinnett 
who need their starting reps to actually improve. Guys like Colby Allard, uh, Ian Anderson, I expect, will be up there before too long. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if Kyle Muller is in Gwinnett at some point this year. You've got guys in Gwinnett that have to advance to the point where some of these guys on the big league roster are. So I don't see the bullpen as as big of a need. Obviously, right field and starting pitcher are where you're at. I think an outfielder is more important because I'm in the business. I'm not in the business of adding a starting pitcher unless it's a clear upgrade personally. So whatever you got to do, find me an outfielder. So I would assume that you were still sticking to your never sunny guns. Uh, Yeah, I am not a sunny gray fan. I know his numbers away from Yankee stadium were nice. I get that. Um, but if he wasn't good in Yankee Stadium, I mean, it's not like the National League East is a pantheon of big ballparks for him to pitch in. Uh, there's three very home run prone ballparks in this division as well, and two of them just so happen to be two of the the two best other teams in the division. Like uh, I've said before, if you could get him for like a bullpen piece, like if you could trade Corbin Klaus straight up for Sonny Gray, okay. If you have to get into any real sort of prospect within the top twenty. Then no, I'm I'm fine. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. Um, so just when you're talking about it, it, has to be a clear upgrade. I mean, Sonny's better than Julio, but he's not that much better than Julio. He's not better so, than Gosman. He's not better than Fulty. He's not better than Sean. He's not better than Freed. He's not better than Soroka. So no, thank you. Well, there was a report that came out this week that the Braves are are still uh, still interested in Sonny. So, I'm sure they are. But my thing is, the thing on Sonny Gray is there's no way it can be a high price because everybody already knows the Mets have or the Yankees have flat out already said he will not be on our roster opening day. So when you say that to the media, you have to trade him. And Cashman, what was it? CC Sabathia had angioplasty. He had he had some level of heart surgery. Recently, and but then he he recently got cleared to to resume throwing activities, and right around this time, Cashman came out and said, "Well, maybe we'll hold on to Sonny while we figure out what's going on with CC, which is probably a good idea. I mean, heart surgery is is nothing nothing to mess around with, but it also just the timing of it seemed very like, oh, well, I have zero leverage. <laughs> oh well, crap! Didn't think about that. Yeah, how can I? How can I gain some leverage? Ooh, I know. I'll say we'll, we'll suddenly keep him now after three months of, of saying that there's there's no way he's going to be around next year. So um, I think that the, the Klaus package, uh, if it's like one for one, yeah, I'd do that all day, man. But but at the same time, I last I'd heard, they were still asking for big league pieces. Like, so, yeah, no, no thanks. I don't have any big league pieces I would give you for a guy with Sonny Gray's track record. Well, and that that's where there's the disconnect there. That's why that deal hasn't probably hasn't happened yet. Because I mean, what are you going to subtract from this team to get Sonny Gray? That's not going to hamstring you otherwise or or elsewhere or whatever. I mean, it's uh, it's an interesting experiment to see. But there was a there was a quote. There was apparently an A list member Q and A that Alex Anthopoulos participated in this week, and he said that the uh, the Braves are seventy percent of the way on a deal, so I, I don't know if that's if that's for Sonny, if that's for Hunter Renfro and Kirby Yates, or JT Real Muto, or whoever it is, you know. But uh, he was talking about the the main principles have been agreed upon, and then there's some extra throw-ins 
that that are still being bandied about. So that tells me if it is sunny, then there's either multiple players coming in or multiple players going out. So, or both, or or yeah, it could be both. But seventy percent on a trade. I mean, that's still unless you're like ninety nine percent. I mean, it, things could fall apart at any time. I mean, so. they were they were reportedly super close. Uh, for the when the uh, Jerks and Profar deal, when the Braves were reportedly one of the three teams, they were reportedly super close then on acquiring Sonny Gray, and it fell through. So there's no telling. If I were to, if you were to ask me what I'm leaning towards, I would guess the 70% deal. I would guess it's towards Sonny Gray, just because it seems like an easier deal to get done than JT Real Muto or or, or some of these other guys. Um, now at that also at that Q and A, you know, we talked about the, they asked him about free agency, stating that he thought it was going to thaw out relatively soon, and then you'd start seeing the market start to move. Um, that might be GM speak because people have been saying, "Oh, it's about to thaw for like the last two months." Yeah, and and if I'm if I'm a free agent next off season, I'm looking to go ahead and sign an extension with my current team before things get any worse. Because if and last season it was, oh, Hugh Darvish and, and Jake Arrieta and J.D. Martinez, they've all got their warts, and that that's why there was a signing freeze. And now it's like, okay, well, what about Bryce Harper and Manny Machado? Warts, yeah, sure, but compared to the other guys, very tiny ones. Everybody should be throwing money at these guys, and nobody is. So um, when Yasmani Grandal is getting one year, you know, there's something weird in the water. There's something really, really weird in the water. So if I'm Chris Sale – or I'm Anthony Rendon. I'm trying to. I'm trying, I'm doing what Charlie Blackman did last year, and I'm saying I'll take less money from you than I would from somebody else, if as long as it's like twenty million less, as opposed to like eighty million less, which is what everybody else is, is looking at. So this whole thing about the markets thawing out—they may not ever fully thaw out again. Not the way that we are expecting it to unfold. No, there's there's going to be some real questions as far as is there going to be a strike or anything like that. There's going to be some real questions that need to be uh, need to be answered in the next couple of years. I remember being I was 12 years old during the last strike. We had tickets for a game. It was Braves Astros. This was back when the Astros were still in the National League. Uh, we had tickets the week of the strike, like a couple days after, and we had this little bulletin board at my house. And I remember, you know kind of following the best I could with, with the fact that they that they were going to stop playing baseball in 1994. And, uh, we just left those tickets up on the bulletin board, like into the next season. You know what I mean? That was a, that was a hard, hard thing for 12 year old me to take. And so, well, it lost a lot of, of fans, by the way, and a lot of those fans didn't come back. That's why people credit Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa with saving baseball. Oh, the, the PED rise was absolutely necessary. You know, the fact that it coincided with, like, you know, we've talked about Brady Anderson and Luis Gonzalez and having this, the sudden power surge. Sean that's Green. Exa- yeah, that's, that's exactly what you need in those times to, to get people reinterested and say, I can go to a baseball game and there's going to be eight home runs hit. You know, that's people, people love that. Chicks dig the long ball. Dudes dig the long ball. So I don't know, man. Like, when I'm looking at the prospect now, of, of there being a work stoppage, yeah, it's three years away. But, I mean, when I think of three years ago, it doesn't really seem like that long. Right. The three so. years thing doesn't work when you get old. Now, all of a sudden, three years is the blink <laughs> right. of an eye. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know, man. I just – and I can see it coming, and I've, I've already fully resigned myself to the fact that there's going to be a strike in three years, and my heart is already broken. So, I don't know. The things – 
things got weird. Things got weird real quick. And you can you can see this coming. You can see with all these multi, multi, multi-million dollar deals. Like as soon as Stanton got 325 million, like my first thought is how much more ridiculous is this going to get? And before- that, that's the thing. You knew at some point that you were going to reach a, a point of no return, a point, of, a point of critical mass where there just weren't going to be. That's a 13-year contract. You knew at some point, like, some team would be like, all right, that's it. Teams are like, no more 13-year deals. We're done with that. This is yet another thing that Jeffrey Loria ruined. <laughs> right? Right. Thanks a lot, Jeffrey. Yeah, you know, and and uh, just I I don't know I and so now and, and people are saying oh well, um, Harper and Machado aren't going to get three hundred million dollars, but Mike Trout. That, I was just about to bring that up. Dollars. It makes it makes you wonder what's going to happen in two years when Trout's a free agent because and, Trout and, yeah. should get the most money ever because he's the best player of all time. So it makes you wonder what's going to happen when Mike Trout is a free agent if that market's going to be there. It would, like I was just saying about uh, being Rendon or Sale and trying to lock down into current deals, if Mike Trout is smart, which I'm sure he is, he needs to go ahead and lock into the Angels forever. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. You bite your tongue. He needs to be here in Atlanta. Well, he, but the Braves can't afford to get, like the Angels could afford to give him the money that he deserves as a player. The Braves cannot afford Mike Trout, like without having some really pedestrian like, uh, thank you so very much for, for playing for us, and, and thank you for letting us pay you with half ownership of the team instead of actual money. Fine. You know what I mean? I mean, whatever. Sign, pays, sign off but, like a quarter of the battery for him. But you look at you look at these guys, and, and the same thing could be said for Francisco Lindor. You know, same does thing. he have the talent to be one of the, the highest paid players of all time? Yeah, of course he does. But is he going to get it? Well, Based on the timing, and same with Mookie Betts, dude. Mookie Betts just got twenty million in Arb two. Exactly, he's on pace for like forty million dollar arbitration. That's ridiculous. Nolan Arenado is going to a is going he's to an arbitration for hearing. He he wanted he asked for thirty million dollars, and I don't think it's that preposterous of him to do so. Uh, he won't get thirty because Mookie got twenty. I don't think he'll get thirty. Well, he is. He's in his last year, though. Yeah. So, but, but Mookie, Mookie's still, yeah, he's still got a lot more time. Mookie's to, coming off an MVP season, and Arenado, as much as I love him, last year was a kind of a down year for Arenado by his standards. That that is that is very true. But th- this also gets into we were talking about Culberson and how arbitration, you know, with how it kind of escalates on top of itself. You know, mm-hmm. he he's escalated to where he's at now, and Mookie. Mookie will, will keep escalating, but and so if you're you're Arenado next next season, you're you're looking at going into maybe you can get two hundred million dollars, but maybe you just sit on your ass for a couple of months and wait for the the staring contest to end before somebody finally says oh, just okay. Man. And we but talked I, about I this though. We've been talking about this. This is where you have to get the agents have to and the players have to get this through their heads instead of asking for these mega contracts. Cut the years in half and add on to the annual salary. Teams are more willing to do that than they are to pay you, you know, twenty, thirty million dollars when you're thirty-seven, thirty-eight and you can't move anymore, as opposed to paying you forty million when you're still in your prime. The players at some point there has to be this recognition that that is the place to do it. You have to have this little meeting of the minds where it's like, okay, they're not going to give me a ten-year deal. 
So let me cut my asking price for the years and a half and raise my salary demands. And I think that is the key to getting this done. If you are in a position to ask for 10 years and $300 million or, or just however much, it only takes one team to give it to you for it to be worth it. You know, after all of this, after all of the sitting out and just waiting, if Bryce Harper gets 10 years and $300 million, then this whole gambit was worth it. But when you look at the Nationals down the line, and th- this is where I kind of start to see it from, from team perspectives, you know, you look at the 2025 Nationals. This is with Scherzer and Strasburg and Corbin and maybe Bryce, if he goes back there, they've already got like $40 million committed for something that's not going to happen for half a decade because they just keep deferring. They keep deferring. So I think that it just that part of the, the reluctance from the team's position is just to say, I'm not trying to tie up future money if I don't have to, even if it's something like $30 million and what's going to, I mean, six years from now, what's the, what's the, the luxury tax going to be? Like how high can you, can you really afford to go with your payroll and any level of certainty that you can retain for yourself? It works to your advantage. But I mean, I'm telling you, man, 2025 nationals are going to suck. Well, they're going to turn into the Mets. Tied up in now. We make fun of the Mets for the Bobby Bonilla thing. That's what the nationals are going to turn into. Pretty much. I mean, we're still paying Bruce Suter. I mean, I think we're still paying Dan Ugla. <laughs> right. Yeah. Installments <laughs> of a million. And we we just sat through this rebuild with all these horrible contracts and Matt Kemp and Hector Oliveira and just yeah, all of these different things. I mean, it tells you the the value of not having like we don't have any bad contracts on the books right now. And it's very freeing. It's it's great to know that all of the money, you know, it's not going to be like last year when we were paying Scott Casimir to just not be here we're paying <laughs> adrian, adrian gonzalez, gonzalez 20 million dollars just, to, just not, to go play for the mets we're paying you 20 million to go play for new york yeah i mean that that says a lot you know teams teams will do some some funky things to to move some money around but i don't know this this whole this whole thing is just it stinks the whole it just it, it doesn't just stink, man. It reeks. It's if, just, if I'm Atlanta and Acuna has another year like last year, I'm going to back up the Brinks truck already, try to get this done before the strike. Yeah, it's coming. There there will be a work stoppage. And I, I, I hoped when I was a kid that it would never happen again. And, uh, you know, hopefully the one in three years, that one will be the last one of it, our life. It just it, needs everything. one big-time player to take a shorter-year contract with a higher value. It just takes one big-time player to do that, and the dam will break, and everybody will start to do that. The question is, who's going to be the one to suck up the pride and do that? You could have made the case in the early part of the offseason that Donaldson was the one that did that. You know, like doing doing the short deal with the, the super high A. He had to, though. Him, he had to. He had to take a prove-it deal because he's been injured the last two years. And then with Grandall doing it as well, you know, he turned down a longer-term deal. But even if, even if say it happened one time last offseason and it happens twice now, well then maybe, you know, it takes it takes a while for trends to set up, especially when you're dealing with millions and millions of dollars. So going into next year, like maybe that is the thing. Maybe you know, we had all kind of looked at Trevor Bauer when he said he was just going to sign one year deals from now on. Maybe he was onto something. Be a heck of a lot easier to work out. Now we got one more, one more thing that we need to discuss on this show before we end. Uh, and as you guys are aware, 
uh, Brian Bridges and Roy Clark were dismissed from the scouting department. Um, Doc and I both distraught. I was furious about it. Uh, so I wanted to wait a little bit and see what came out. Now, it's it still reportedly looks like AA just wanted his guy. And, of course, he brings in somebody from Toronto. Um, I'm furious about it, quite frankly. And I'm a big fan of Alex. I think he's incredibly smart. I think he's done a really good job. Uh, this is one of those things that infuriates me that just because somebody saw something a little bit different from you in the way that they judged talent, uh, there's no denying that Brian and Roy Clark are two of the best in the two of the absolute best in the business. All you have to do is look at the look at the draft classes that he was in control of, 2015 onward, and look at where the Braves farm system is as compared to all of these other teams. That to me, that that's infuriating to me. Bridges was uh, he made the rebuild worth paying attention to, and I, you know, after as I'm sure a lot of us did, I, I reached out to him after after the news broke, and just it sucks. You know, he's from here; he grew up watching the Braves, and he it was like a childhood dream for him being able to help help his favorite team growing up. Um, rise back to prominence you know all of all of what you're seeing like for everybody that's be that was frustrated about oh where are all these pitchers that we drafted well i mean they're the ones that are just starting to show up and and all of these project guys that they drafted like uh freddie tarnock you know guys like that you see it and it's like man these guys have such an eye for this type of thing and brian i just he's gonna catch on somewhere man and and i just i wish that the Braves had not been so quick to replace him because it was like two days before they hired Dana Brown. Now the the like Dana Brown has big time shoes to fill, uh, quite frankly, and, and I'm skeptical. You look at Toronto's farm system, and it's nothing special outside of obvious Vlad Jr. and Bo Bichette. Outside of that, it's nothing special. Um, and it could be that I, I and I am a little bit biased because I I am I love Brian. I'm a huge fan of Brian. I reached out to him as well. Uh, consider Brian a friend, but the results speak for themselves with Brian. Everybody that he looks at, essentially, he beats everybody else. Uh, we've talked about this before. The Braves were literally the only major league team that saw Austin Riley as a position player and not a pitcher. We were the only team that saw him as a first-round talent and not a, a third-round talent. That That speaks to a lot right there. It's the the way that this organization is going to with not having the the high draft picks and not having the international department. I mean, there there was already going to be such a premium on uh, on extracting maximum value out of draft picks. Which, look, by Denver, the way, was, by the way, the sanctions. If you're wondering why the Braves haven't signed AJ Pollock or why the sanctions are pretty much the reason, giving up a second round pick at this point is. With with the depth in the system not being where you need it to be at the lower levels, I that's why I don't think the Braves will sign anybody with a QO. Short of signing like a like a Bryce, level, right. I think right, sort I of think, like I a generational Bryce. type of guy. If it's just an average to slightly above average guy, they're not going to give up the QO. Yeah, I mean, and I I I do like Pollock. I I, I like him more than more than you do, but um, well, and, that would and be I wouldn't easy. Well, I <laughs> I wouldn't be be flabbergasted if if they were to wind up signing him if they're if they really feel like they can bank on his health. But yeah, I, I think that that the there's gonna be some lean times on the farm system. Like all of us that that really I 
like when the rebuild started happening, like I didn't get mad that everybody was getting traded. I just used it as an opportunity to be like, prospects, huh? Tell me more. You know, who is, who is this kid, Max Free, that we just got for Justin Upton, you know? Um, but there there's going to be some some really lean times. And it's, it's not the Mississippi and Florida. And, uh, yeah, it's not going to be quite as worth paying attention to as it has been in, in recent years. And a lot of that has to do with, with the work of, of Brian and Roy. So, And Dana, Dana Brown is no slouch, okay? Like, he's coming in as a VP of scouting, and he, he has a long track record of, of uh, major leaguers, uh, drafting major leaguers and, and all-stars, and, and I think he's going to perform admirably well. But this one just particularly stings because it's not often that that you get that many consecutive hits in a row in the draft. Like, if you're listening to this and you're bored, um, take a second, Google Braves 2015 draft, Google Braves 2016 draft, and look at how many of those names you recognize, not just as quality talents, but like elite level prospects or like at least 50, 55 value level. I mean, just such an amazing job. The gaming the system 2016 draft is going to go down in history, man. Like that Ian, Ian, Ian Anderson pick. I just, I can't say enough about it. So um, I'm still going to pay very close attention to the draft because it's just something that I, I very much enjoy obsessing over. But this does kind of, at least for this year, it takes some of the some of the wind out of my sails because you know you you go into the draft every year and you have great faith that Brian and his team are going to wind up just doing a really really great job. And now I, it's not that I'm skeptical that that having Alex and and Dana at the, at the head of the program is going to wind up ruining it, ruining anything by any means, but there's less certainty that, that you're going to wind up being able to get a Kyle Wright with your first overall. Makes it a whole lot more nerve wracking. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There, there's the less level of certainty and having two picks in the first round. Eh, eh, might not have been, you, you should have just let him fry right. out that contract. <laughs> but hey, you know, this is why we podcast and Alex is the GM, I guess. So we'll see how know. it goes. I mean, Alex is very smart, so it very well could work out. Uh, I just think it, it it's going to be very hard to do a better job than what Brian did. So big thanks to Brian for everything he did for the organization. Like Doc said, it will be a matter of it will be as soon as he wants to go to a team, he'll go to somebody and pretty much whoever he wants to go to. I mean, there's only yeah. There's only three farm systems that were better than the Braves. You can talk about the Rays, talk about the White Sox, talk about the Padres. Literally everybody else would kill to have Brian Bridges on their staff. So I look forward to seeing where he lands and uh, look forward to getting to know Dana Brown a little bit through his draft picks. And uh, hopefully, hopefully Alex did not make a big mistake there. We'll see as we get going. But we have kept you guys long enough. Thank you guys so much for making it through the end of the episode. Big thanks to our guest Craig Mish for joining us today and letting us know his side of the story as far as the JT Real Muto thing. Everybody out there, hope you guys enjoy this. Again, as always, follow us on iTunes, on Lipson, on Podbean, blah, 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 pretty much wherever. CastBox, Stitcher, wherever you want to follow us, you can find us. Make sure you leave a little review as well. Follow us on Twitter at TBS underscore podcast. Like the Facebook page as well. Thank you guys so much. We'll hit you up next week right here on the Platinum Sombrero. Shiny car, you're facing the wind and your head cuts in.
How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply.